Welcome to the Anonymous Podcast. This episode will be a living clean study and commentary. The aim is to provide insight to and context of the material within our book, Living Clean. This is not a meeting of Narcotics Anonymous. However, there will be some similarities in how the study will be conducted. Each study will have the audio recorded and then published to the Anonymous Podcast. The overall goal is to provide a commentary of the text towards reaching those seeking a resource like this. If one person benefits from our efforts, including us, then our participation will be well worth the effort. We'll have the introductions, and then we'll jump into the text. Enjoy. All right, welcome back, everyone. This is episode 13 of the Living Clean Study for the Anonymous podcast. We're going to begin on page 41 with We Feel Deeply. But first, I'm going to give our introductions. Jane, can you jump on in, introduce yourself? Jane A. here from Salem, Oregon, clean date 12-22-79, and I attend means regularly in this area. All right, thanks, Jane. What's happening, Barb? I'm Barb, an addict, live in Fort Walton Beach, Florida. My clean date is October 4th, 1995, and my home group is Open Mind in New Orleans. Thanks, Barb. What's up, Eva? Hi, everybody. Eva P. here from Salem, Oregon. My clean date is June 10th, 2000, and I attend meetings in the Moon Willamette Valley area. My home group is Do It Hard. All right. Thanks, Eva. What's up, Jennifer? My name is Jennifer, and I'm an addict. My clean date is November 27th, 1992, and I attend meetings in Sacramento, California. Thanks, Jen. What's happening, Paul? I'm Paul M. Uh, my clean date is January the 6th, 1995, and I attend meetings in New Orleans, Louisiana. Thanks, Paul. What's up, Casey? Hey, everybody. My name is Casey, and I'm an addict. My clean date is September 30th of 2013. I attend meetings in the Mid-Willamette Valley. My home group is the Tuesday, Thursday, West Salem Recovery Group. Glad to be here. Thanks, Casey. What's happening, Lee? Lee Attic. Casey, your volume is really low. Um, clean date 82787. Uh, 10 meetings in New Orleans, and my home group is the Open Mind Group of Narcotics Anonymous. Thanks, Douglas. Thanks, Lee. And our guest this evening, Dan T. What's happening, Dan? Hey, everybody. My name is Dan T. I'm an addict. My clean date is January 11, 1990. I attend meetings in Sacramento, California, and my home group is the Journey Within group. All right. Thanks, Dan. I'm Addict. Name's Douglas. I go clean March 12, 2000 in Southwestern PA, and I stay in the Raleigh, North Carolina area now. All right, folks. Podcast episode number 13, Living Clean for the Anonymous Podcast. We're going to begin on page 41 with We Feel Deeply, and Barb's going to facilitate. Take it away, Barb. I'm Barb and Addict, and it's an honor to be a part of this podcast with these wonderful addicts. And let's start off with Jane on page 41, We Feel. Please. You bet, Barb. We feel deeply and experience our emotions at great extremes. We dive into life face first or hide under the covers, afraid to move. The price of growth for many of us is the awakening of more feelings than we know how to live with. It takes courage and humility to keep from shutting down again. Often after the fact, we recognize that our negative thinking had cascaded. Perhaps we started with allowing a resentment to fester and found gradually that we were less honest. Withholding the truth gave way to lying and then sharing got harder and so forth until we found ourselves dealing with the consequences of a whole lot of bad behavior. Addiction and recovery are both progressive we are very rarely standing still. We are almost always either getting better or getting sicker. Want me to stop there, Barb? No, go ahead with another one. Okay. We define ourselves by our choices. The decision to have a family means leaving behind the independence we knew before. The decision not to have a family means that we must find other ways to feel connected to people and so on. Tradition 7 tells us that everything has a price regardless of intent, and we find the profound truth in that as we move forward in our lives and our recovery. Every choice we make, good and bad, means there are options we left behind. We can get lost in infinite webs of what if, as if we start thinking about our lives. 
The fourth step warns us about getting caught in the binge of emotional sorrow that can result. We come to see ourselves not as we were, but as we are becoming. NA helps us to live with the consequence and the benefits of our transformation. I'll stop there. That's a lot of stuff there. Yeah, courage and humility to feel those feelings and not run and hide uh, or get diverted. And I got to tell you, in the beginning, I got diverted an awful lot. Um, one relationship after another. But I uh, stayed clean. And I did a whole lot of withholding the truth and not telling you the whole truth, only taking just parts of it and, uh, and sharing it. And, uh, and it, they're absolutely correct. Sharing got harder because they, I couldn't keep track of what was shared and what wasn't shared and how much of his story got told by anybody else. Um, I think the part that I really like to, to talk about in this particular thing is choices. I can't tell you that the epiphany that happened to me when I realized that even not making a choice was a choice and the difference that made in me becoming responsible and accountable is learning that um, it's the choices, good, bad, or indifferent, that can shape my life or make a difference in my life on any given day. And um, that just made a world of difference in my recovery. Uh, that among a lot of other things. That's, that's one of those aha moments um, that make a big difference. That uh, uh, And thinking about those choices and being willing to listen to someone else give some input on those choices instead of doing it myself, not having to know all the time. And that's enough out of me. Thanks. Thanks, Jane. Anybody else? Okay, Jen, you want to read the next couple ones, please? Sure. Um, we all have our experience starting over in our lives with new people, places, and things, stepping into a new way of life we don't quite understand. The desire to survive and feel fulfilled is not unique to us as addicts, but in recovery, we begin with connection to others and work our way to basic safety. And perhaps it has to be this way. To believe that we can trust the love in our lives is challenging. Those really deep needs are the ones we believe won't be met. It begins with the amends process, the understanding that we can forgive and be forgiven, that we can take responsibility for our actions and make better choices. Although our destinations may be different, our journeys are very similar. We travel through many different identities before we find self-acceptance. We propel ourselves by using the tools we all share. When we are derailed, we end up in much the same place. When we are moving forward by practicing spiritual principles, we may go to very different places in our lives, but if we relapse, we end up in a common predicament. This is what we share most of all, not where we are going, but where we come from and how we move forward. I think that the part that really sticks out for me in this is uh, we begin with connection to others and work our way to basic safety. You know, when, when I got clean, I didn't trust anybody. I didn't feel safe. I didn't feel loved. I didn't even, I don't know if I could even actually remember, I mean, remember like what love was, you know what I mean? Um, and if somebody wanted to love on me, I was like, Ugh. I, I don't, I'm not deserving. You know, I, I walked in here with a lot of shame. Um, I walked in here, you know, young and not understanding, um, you know, what I was walking into when I came to Narcotics Anonymous. And I didn't, I didn't always like know who to go to or what to do. And, you know, and, 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 you know, I talk about this all the time and it's so important for me, you know, there was a group of women that, that saw me, like really saw me and knew that I was a mess. I couldn't sit still. I couldn't stop going outside and smoking and they grabbed me up and they loved me and it did not feel good right away. Um, you know, those are the women that are still in my life today. Those are the people that I still have around that are still clean, that are still, you know, giving that away. And, and, and what that gave to me was the safety to learn how to be who I am, talk about what I need to share um, and know that I'm going to be okay. And now I, Get to pass that on to other women, you know, um, in the fellowship, and that 
ripple effect of how recovery works, you know, I've seen in action, you know, for the last 28 years. And, um, you know, if I don't have that connection, and I think I've heard Paul say it a ton of times, you know, the opposite of addiction is connection, right? Like if I don't have that, I'm destined, you know, to use again, you know, um, I need to have that connection at all time, whether it's to people, whether, you know, it's to my higher power, um, I need to have that to survive, so thanks. Thanks, Jen. Anybody else, Paul or Douglas? Uh, thanks, Barb. Uh, I'll jump in. Get... Oh, sorry, Douglas. Go ahead. I'll be quick, Dan. I'll be quick, and then I'll throw it over to you, bro. All right. So we'll go on the first paragraph that Jane read. I wanted to make a quick comment on that too, and it talks about we're really, we're uh, very rarely standing still. Uh, we're either getting better or getting sicker, and then you know, the addiction and recovery are both progressive. That gives me a lot of hope that I'm just not going to hit a plateau. That it's like, uh, um, you know, Paul, you something that you say a lot is like, you know, staying clean is the bottom rung of the ladder. You know, we build on that, man. We get the, you know, more freedom. It's the most important rung, you know what I mean? Like staying clean, man, abstinence, you know, and but then in some 12-step work and then growing. Um, and that's what I want, man. I desire to have a, a, a full life and I want to experience life. But check this out. I want to I want to share on this um, top of page what, 42. It begins with the immense process, the understanding that we can forgive and be forgiven. And the folks know that I'm traveling, um, my, the people here on the, on the podcast and see the background, like I'm at my, my people's house. And, um, I mean, it, it, you know, 10, 11 years ago or something like that, when my wife at the time relapsed, it, she was using with someone who was living here, you know, and, and uh, um, you know, and then, and then through that process, man, like there's a lot of things there that was like, I'm never speaking to these folk again, or they're not, you know, back and forth, this and that. And the, in the relationship now is like, Hey, don't leave, stay, let's go to dinner, hang out here. You know, that, that, that connectiveness and, and, and in the, in this book, man, how to listen to God, you know, I talk about this book a lot, but it's, it's powerful, man. It talks about what happens in the immense process. The immense process takes the, takes these vertical barriers and through the immense process, man, it makes some horizontal surfaces and horizontal connections, these horizontal bridges. And that's, and that's true in my life, man. And, and not just, you know, just, not just like with my mom in this situation, but, but over and over again, man, when I'm able to understand I can be forgiven and I can forgive others, those vertical barriers have, have become these horizontal bridges. And um, I mean, it's beautiful, man. And, and from that perspective, it, it says, you know what, I want to do this again. Like, I want to do it again, and I want to do it again. I don't want to be boxed in, and I hate that feeling of being boxed in. So uh, those are going to be uh, my comments. Thanks, uh, Dan. Thanks for letting me jump in front of you, bro. All right. Yeah, I don't have the protocol down yet. Thanks, everybody. Uh, yeah, I wanted to back up uh, to the first paragraph as well, where it talks about addiction and recovery are both progressive. We're very rarely standing still. We're either oh, always either getting better or sicker man have i found that to be true and and it's for me getting better is kind of a two steps forward one step back process right it's it, it's an it's kind of an uphill journey is i'm, I'm going to strive i'm going to try to get out of my comfort zones and do some different behaviors and sometimes i'm going to falter and it takes a long time to develop those healthier habits those spiritual connection type habits but the opposite is is really like going downhill Right. If I stop doing some things, it gets bad pretty quick. Uh, it, it's not relative to how much work it takes to move forward. And, and I know this sentence to be very true as I sit and, you know, maybe in some quiet meditation these days, and I can really feel comfortable with where I am, recognizing that even just a couple of years ago, I wasn't the same person that I, you know, I keep sticking and staying and, and doing what's in front of me and, and doing the writing and stuff. And I'm still continuing to get more comfortable in my skin where a couple of years ago, I would look back and go, Oh, man, I don't know that I could get more comfortable. So it is exciting and the hope is really there. Uh, a couple other quick things I'd like to touch on is uh, this is in memory of my friend Art W. Art was somebody I sponsored for 20 plus years and he passed away uh, at the beginning of the uh, pandemic of COVID. But where it talks about everything has a price regardless of intent. And one of the cliches we hear in the rooms is you can do anything you want in Narcotics Anonymous as long as you're willing to pay the price. And I always used to say it has nothing to do with willingness. You're going to fucking pay the price, right? And, and I really absolutely found that to be true as well, that my lessons sometimes are, are learned really, you know, in really painful ways. 
And the last thing I wanted to talk on is where it says we travel through many different identities before we find self-acceptance. I spent a lot of years using and many years clean, hiding behind a phony image I hoped would fool people. I didn't have any kind of courage to be authentic. So I, I presented this this facade, this mask. And I know that I'm not alone in that. I see some head shaking here, but just, you know, at some point in my recovery, I hit such a painful spiritual alone place that it was either get loaded or get honest. And uh, fortunately I have the same clean date. So, uh, but it's still a continuing process of just being willing to show up and say what's going on and leave the look good at the door. Know that I'm going to chase it out if I, if I, if I don't. So thanks for letting me jump in. Eva. Hi, everybody. So this part right here where we all have experiences starting over in our lives with new people, people, places and things, stepping into a new way of life, we don't quite understand. Um, you know, it, so right before I got here, well, you know, I, I have a lot of experience and I know a lot of other people do, men and women, with um, abusive partners. And um, so when I got here, you know, that was one of the first things that I worked on was trying to feel safe within that type of relationship. And <clears throat> so at five years clean, I married this man who, uh, who never raises his voice. So I would go to my sponsor and I'm like, I don't think that he's hearing me. Like, I feel like I need to raise my voice so that he would just hear me because that's how we did it. Right. Like in every other relationship, every other marriage, in my home as a child like if you wanted to get your point across you had to raise your voice and i'm telling you this man doesn't raise his voice and he doesn't call me bad names like i don't even know if he likes me at this point like if you don't call me some kind of bad name i'm not sure that we can be friends right <laughs> and <laughs> i tried so hard to like get to know this man um, in the beginning of our relationship. And I'm like, I don't know what I'm doing wrong. Like he doesn't show me the kind of emotion that I'm used to. And, you know, it says we feel deeply and experience emotions at great extremes. Well, I was always at this high level of extreme and like loud and like, I would blow people over and mow you down if you were in my way. And that was how I did relationships. Like it was super passionate. And so we, we loved hard and we fought hard. And this man is just like this, like this, like this, uh, like this line, like this perfect, he's not perfect, but if you know him, you think he is. I swear you, I swear you do. Everybody loves Brad. He's not even in recovery, but people call him more than they do me in recovery to talk because he's so mellow and so good. And um, that's not true. They don't, but it seems like it to me sometimes, right? So I didn't know how to do this relationship, right? So I had to start over. Like my, my sponsor was like, you have to start from the beginning. You have to learn to communicate from the beginning. And, and the first thing that you do is when you feel like yelling, you go into the other room and I'm like, why? Like, I didn't get it. Like, how is he gonna understand that I'm passionate about what I'm saying? Like, if I don't get it loud and um, you know, what I was taught by her and by him was this new way to basic safety. And that is that we don't yell in this house. We don't yell no matter what, no matter how upset we get, no matter how passionate I get, I'm not allowed to yell. Like if I feel like I may yell, I have to go into the other room, right? And so um, it took years for me to learn how to start over like this whole basic, it was a core belief of mine. I swear that if, if you didn't call me bad names and yell at me, you didn't love me. And, um, and I didn't love you if I didn't do the same. So, you know, that was a huge thing in my life. And, you know, I, I did things backwards in recovery. I didn't start with women. I started with men. <laughs> And I got into this relationship and this marriage. And then I learned how to, like, later, I was like, oh, I'm missing something. Well, it was women in my life. And, uh, and I learned how to better be a friend and better be a sponsor and better be a sponsee and better be a woman of integrity and grace um, later, 
But first I had to learn by, you know, my higher power put this dude in front of me so I can learn how not to yell at people when I got upset or too excited for some crazy reason. So um, that was just one experience that I had with um, starting over and recovery. Thanks. Thanks, Eva. Lee, you wanna read this last paragraph and then we'll get comments about this section before we go on to the next one. Thanks, Barb. Sure. <clears throat> Together, we rise to the point of freedom. We need one another to get there. And one of the most beautiful things we do in the fellowship is support one another in pursuit of our dreams. Sharing our hopes and our successes is as much a part of carrying our messages, sharing our fears and difficulties. We have a message of hope to carry. It's a gift and it's an obligation. We may not relate exactly to one another's dreams, but we can relate to the hope, energy, and excitement of trying to realize them. We are inspired by one another's journeys. Being present to one another's growth gives us the tools and inspiration to move forward ourselves. But we also find we're able to stay put, follow through, and live the lives we create. Our recovery is something we can trust and believe in. New beginnings are possible anytime we are ready. And I need to, to jump back a little bit too. Um, I'm really exhausted, so I haven't been as active. Uh, to believe that we can trust the love in our lives is challenging. Those really deep needs are the ones we believe won't be met. And I can remember like the years of struggling with the I am not worthy. Um, and it went away fairly early, probably around 10 years somewhere in the beginning. And, and what had happened was when the, the relationship to a higher power developed on a, a more grounded basis, that opens, I don't know what it was, it opens something up inside of me. And then I was able to allow you guys to really love on me. Um, and that seems to be a challenge in, in a lot of uh, a lot of addicts' lives. And, and and fast forward to I don't know how many years, but I started doing these periods of abstinence from sex and from acting out completely because it became using. It was you know using at some point in this process redefines itself. It's not about the dope anymore. It's not about the gazillion character defects, it's about what I'm doing. And so that started to redefine itself. And so I started taking periods of, of abstinence, complete abstinence from, from all acting out. And, and a lot of work in six and seven and a lot of the practicum. And I need to say that the practice of, of the principles from six and seven helped greatly. And then all of a sudden that urgency to fix for lack of a, a better definition, started to diminish really, really greatly. Um, we are inspired by one another's journeys. And it also said, this is a gift and an obligation. And I get asked all the time, why do I do, so, why do you do so much in Narcotics Anonymous? You know, and I'm like, duh, uh, that's how I stay clean. I, I, have this feeling, this obligation to this process, which literally and figuratively saved my life, that I, I feel that I owe. And that obligation, even with uh, decades, has not, a lot of things have met at a, like at a break even point, if that makes any sense. Like when I had 20 years clean and I'd used for 20 years, that felt like a break even. My obligation to this process, and I heard Douglas say it earlier, that desire to want to do, to get to do, is still very great in my life. And so I try to give that, that back. So that, that's plenty out of me. Uh, thanks, Barb. 
Casey, would you like to share? Sure, thank you. Um, in this paragraph, like, uh, it is super powerful. You know, our, our literature talks about the therapeutic value of one addict helping another. And um, I can't tell you what I would do without the women that I have in my life and those relationships that I've built. Um, you know, I was just reflecting on the last seven and whatever, whatever years, um, just the things that I've been through and the things that I've been through without getting loaded. You know, I've gone through my dad having cancer and being put on hospice and given less than six months to live. Um, you know, a lot of shit that I never thought I could stay clean if they'd happened and, you know, they've happened and I've stayed clean and it's a direct result of those relationships that, that I built. Um, I tried this program when I was 17 and, um, I too, like many others have, um, you know, at that time tried to search out the men in the program and, um, I always went back out. And so what I did differently this time was grasp on to at first, just the one woman, which was my sponsor. That was the only person that I could trust. That was the only person that I could open up to and get vulnerable with and be the real me. And then in trusting her, I learned how to trust another woman and then another woman and another woman. And then, you know, before too long, you build this village and, um, and then the ripple effect happens that Jennifer talks about, you know, now I have this village on the other side that, that just surround me. And that's the women that I work with. And without those relationships, both of those relationships, you know, my predecessors and the women that I'm working with, without those relationships, I wouldn't be clean. Those women get me through um, good times without getting overly excited. You know, I too am an extremist when it comes to my emotions and uh, they help keep me balanced. Um, they cry with me when I, uh, am going through some shit, you know, I've been going through some stuff this week and, um, I'll tell you that I still, to this day, latch onto my sponsor when I feel like my ass has fallen off or when I feel like things are happening that are too far outside of my control and I don't know what to do. And, um, those are lifelines, man, lifelines. Um, so if you, uh, are listening to this podcast and you don't have a village or a woman or a man you know, whatever the case may be that, that you can hold on to, man, I, I, um, plead with you to, to build that village because they will save your ass and they will walk through anything with you, um, so that you don't have to die over life on life's terms. So that's all I have for that. Thank you. Thanks, Casey. I think there's a lot in this paragraph too. I like, um, together we rise to the point of freedom. To me, that's powerful. And we need one another to get there. You know, it took me a while to, to realize that I needed you. I couldn't go it alone anymore, you know, even in recovery. And um, support one another in the pursuit of our dreams. It was the women. You know, my first, my first home group was a women's meeting, you know, and I needed to do that because I, I came from the streets and I was used to manipulating and using men. I didn't want to be around women. I wasn't comfortable being around women because they could see through my shit and I felt less than than them. So it was important for me initially to be with the women and they did uh, support me. And I love this, we have a message of hope to carry. It's a gift and an obligation. I, and, and it says about sharing the good and the bad there. You know, I, I have to, you know, recovery's not all about roses. I share, I share when I'm going through the shit and then I try to share the solution, how I get through it, you know? But it's important to, because people did that for me, you know, so because I was on that pink cloud, pink cloud for the first year, you know, of my recovery. So and, and I do have an obligation to share um, the good, the bad, the ugly. There's a reason why I'm here. And the reason why I'm here is, I think, because um, my past is my greatest asset and I need to share that and help other addicts, you know. And, and so I have to get transparent. A lot of times I don't want to. <laughs> You know, I don't want to lay the shit I lay out, but I, I really believe that I have an obligation to do that today, you know, because it's just inexplicable why I'm here. And but we also find we are able to stay put, follow through and live the lives we create. I was my my nickname used to be runaway child running wild. You know, when I started running away, I was a juvenile delinquent. I started running away preteen, you know, and prided myself that you couldn't keep me in any girl's home or anything, you know. And proceeded to run for all my life, 
all my life when, you know, if you, if, if you didn't do it my way, it was a highway, you know, and people were disposable. And, and one of the things I learned in, in recovery is to stay put, you know, and that people aren't disposable. My first thought will still be, fuck this, I'm out of here, or this person's gone because they pissed me off, you know, but today with recovery and the, and the, the programming that you guys have helped me instill, it's like, no, Barb, that's not how it is. You know, you're going to stay and, and um, you're going to work this through, communicate, put on your big girl panties and be a big girl, you know, and, and live in life. And then it said in here about, um, about uh, one another in the pursuit of our dreams. You know, I always tell this story in the 70s. They had taken my son. My mom came to get me. And I was out getting off a hill, and, and I remember driving back. We were, I was about 100 miles from home, and we drove back to my mom's, and I remember riding, kicking, and, and feeling the, the breeze on my face and thinking, ah, oh, that feels so, you know, I haven't felt that, noticed that, you know. And then I went on to use for many years, you know. And, and when I got into recovery and I was here a while, and I started, you guys, I saw other women going back to school and doing things, you know, and, and, and I did that too. And, and um, I realized that I was starting to dream, you know, to have hopes and dreams, you know. And, and the epiphany for me was that it scared the shit out of me because I never even realized I lost that. There's so many things that addiction took that I didn't even realize that I sacrificed or I lost, you know, until I got in recovery and got them back. And my self-respect and dignity was one of many, you know, that um, I, I would have told you I sold my soul. I was a piece of shit. I could never. And you guys said, oh, no, you know, here's how you, here's how, you know. And and that first guy that told me the charges have been dropped, Barb, you know, so I'm grateful to be here. Anybody else got anything? Eva? Thanks, Barb. Um, so... For me, where it says we have a message of hope to carry, it's a gift and an obligation. Um, so, yes, it's my obligation to carry it in a in a meeting. I totally agree with that. But it's so much more than that. I was taught it's so much more than that. We talk about service work a lot on here, and this is where I get a little preachy in my area. <laughs> but um, maybe, maybe I don't know. But I know that a lot of people in these in our um, squares here do service work and um, and some of them a lot and some of them a lot more than others but we all do it and um, and by service work I don't just mean sponsoring I mean like like the trenches of you know home groups and area and region and world and um, and it's not it's not like I want to spend the second Sunday of every month, all day, what I call service Sunday, all day there. It's not like I want to do that every single month. But most months I do. I look forward to being with my people for one. And, you know, it isn't, it isn't always easy either. Sometimes I, I'm not going to say fight. I disagree. Um, mildly disagree okay i i disagree a lot with some of my people that i love right and politics are not my thing is such a lame excuse to not be a part of of narcotics anonymous on a level higher than just sponsoring and going to meetings and um and and it does start with mopping the floor it does but it should grow and I'm just talking about, you know, what I was taught by my sponsor, it should grow with my recovery. The amount that I put into Narcotics Anonymous should grow with my recovery. Like if I get my first set of steps done and I'm still just mopping the floor, there's a problem. Like I should be a part of that home group. I should be doing something for it other than mopping the floor because that's how I'm going to learn. And then I graduate, you know, and I'm not trying to preach to anybody, but if, you, if I wanted Narcotics Anonymous to continue, I need to be there to open a meeting for somebody. That's what I was taught, if that's my job. And, and, and if nobody else wants that job and I want that meeting to survive, then that's my job. So uh, I, 
I think that this gift of recovery is an obligation to share with others, just like somebody stayed in the rooms and shared it with me. And, you know, it's so much bigger than just, you know, giving people how I think Narcotics Anonymous is in a meeting or how I experience Narcotics, Narcotics Anonymous in my heart. It's much more than me talking, even on this podcast, which is service work. It's so much more than that um, in, in my life. And, and I wouldn't be where I am today without stepping up and doing area and stepping up and doing home groups and stepping up and doing, you know, whatever I can when I can. Um, okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna quit preaching now, thanks. <laughs> thanks, Eva. Oh, you wanna read and um, let's go on to the next section, a spiritual path. A spiritual path, um, all right. The steps are a path to spiritual growth. There is no separation between the spiritual part and the rest of our program. Just as the facets of a diamond are not separate from the stone, the spiritual aspects of our program are not separate parts. They are perspectives on the whole. It's all spiritual. Our understanding of what that means may change over time. Sometimes we think of spiritual principles as separate from the actions we need to take, but in fact, they are connected. Spiritual principles give us a language through which we develop our values and learn to live by them. The principles describe our beliefs, our actions, and the reasons we act. Our relationship to the principles we practice is created. We learn from day to day to use them in new ways, in new combinations to better express who we are and to help the people around us. When we understand them better, we are able to act more consistently with what we believe. As we practice spiritual principles, we discover that this doesn't make us spiritual at all. Instead, we are awakening to what has been going on inside us our whole lives. Spirituality is our natural state. Right, we're not beings having a spirit, what is it? We're not human beings having a spiritual experience, we're spiritual beings having a human experience. I've heard said in Narcotics Anonymous. I, um, yeah, I don't think the object of the game is to tick off boxes and say, oh, I was tolerant today, oh, I was honest today although that can be helpful at times, it's the end result. It's how I move in the world. And, and the last of those things was how uh, and, who, and who we are able to help and how we are able to help the people around us. Because that's the point of all this. I, I, I wreaked havoc on the people around me when I was using. And the object of the game is to level the scale as I slide into home base. And uh, I, I think that, you know, I, I can see that it has, it's getting there. I have, uh, that's the amends process. And I don't mean just an eighth and ninth step, but a change process and uh, how I treat people. I had dinner with a friend of mine who I have known for 51 years. We met when I was nine years old in the fourth grade and I'm 60 now. And um, it's good to be, have people in, the, in our lives like that. You know, we talk about when we first got clean, all of the people were going to lose because of getting clean. And we don't ever talk about all the people we get back because of getting clean because Danny had to leave for, for a moment. He had to go, oh, I, I love you from afar. <laughs> because, you know, anybody with any good sense can't just keep going into it. And so when I get clean, I start to get those people back in my life. And, and the, the good news is, is that those people have a perspective and they don't even have to be, look, he, he knows about the 12 step. He has a brother who's an alcoholic and he's been to Al-Anon. So he, he knows this process. He's worked it in his life. 
but I need people like that. I, I'm looking at I'm looking at Lee on here. Lee, Lee and I met in 1988. I need people in my life who can set who can see the process and who can talk about it and talk about all of those spiritual principles which are working in my life. And and I know Lee said his worthiness thing uh, um, got better in about ten years. Let me tell you something. It was not ten years for me. I look. My worthiness thing is still in play on some days. It has gotten a lot better, a lot better with 26 years clean. But um, if you are struggling with that, with that, with six months clean, six years clean, 16 years clean, I, I, I invite you to continue with the process because I am. Um, and, and the truth is, is uh, the worthiness doesn't come from within it comes from outside it comes from the path that i lead that spiritual path and uh and that's why i'm here so thanks thanks paul anybody else dan yeah thanks Shane. i'll jump in there the the part that really just hit me in the mouth was the first sentence where it said there is no separation between the spiritual part and the rest of our program I mean, that, and i think because you know our literature talks about spiritual mental and physical and we have a tendency to separate those things because it's easier to digest them when they're separate but they're all for me so interconnected for an example if i'm tired how spiritual am I going to be? If I'm hungry, how likely am I to respond in a compassionate, loving fashion? Just they're all connected for me. I, there's no separating. I heard it said in a meeting that removing the spiritual from the program is like removing the wet from water. And, and I really like that because it kind of made the sense that it just, it all resonated together. But uh, uh, that to me was the important part. Uh, the one that really stuck out was that, uh, that statement about how the whole entire process is a spiritual meaning of my spirit, right? It's like, how am I going to feel if I'm doing this? How am I going to uh, affect others if I'm doing that? And what's my, for lack of a better term, and maybe sound a little crystally or whatever, is, is my, my energy going to be around the people? I, you know, I don't want to be an energy vampire anymore. I spent a lot of years sucking the soul out of people uh, just spiritually. And so to be given this opportunity to recover and, you know, where it talked about sharing our successes, uh, I have to be real careful about that. I have to stick with my spiritual successes, my successes on how to overcome difficult things, my successes on how to show up with love when uh, I used to show up with judgment. Those types of successes are the ones that give me the most hope. I don't care how much money you make. I don't care at all. But, it, you know, if you can uh, overcome being self-righteous and learn to be compassionate, I'm down with that. I'll sit and listen to you all day long. So uh, that's... Uh, that's my take on all that stuff. Thanks, Dan. Anybody else? Douglas, you want to read Awakening to Our Spirituality? Yeah, thanks, Barb. Awakening to Our Spirituality. We are not the only people who have spiritual awakenings, but there is a particular awakening we experience as a result of working the steps. We awaken to our own spirituality. We're newly alive to the world around us. We see more clearly and feel more acutely, and that isn't always comfortable. Uh, some of our members believe that the most important spiritual awakening occurs when we walk in the door of Narcotics Anonymous, and we spend the rest of our recovery trying to understand what happened. For others of us, awakening, like so much else in recovery, seems to happen in layers. The fog pulled back to where I could see how much fog there was, said one. Each time it pulls back, I see more on the horizon have a sense of how big it is and how much I still can't see. With a little luck, I'll be waking up more and more uh, my whole life. Some of us have awakened spiritually and with an overwhelming sense of a power greater than ourselves. Others have shared a slow, gentle reviving of spiritual awareness. Whether or not we experience a sense, whether or not we ever experience a sense of a higher power, the discovery that others care about us can be a spiritual awakening. For the first time, we recognize that we matter. Living according to principles leads us to humility and greater awareness of our place in the world and our ability to live comfortably in it. We often hear it means the most important thing to understand about a higher power is that you ain't it. Whatever it takes for us to realize that we're not the center of the universe, it's worth it. 
who may be too clever to declare ourselves a supreme being, but our self-centered disease still tells us uh, that we are responsible for much more than we could possibly control. And so, so my comments on this is, is uh, uh, I think I've had both. I think I've had, I've had these moments, the, this awakening of my spirit to where I know, man, I have this loving creator, this loving power greater than myself with me. I'm not alone. Um, uh, like I felt that when, uh, you know, when, when my wife at the time, uh, you know, was pregnant with my sons, you know, I felt that deep connection, you know, when I saw him for the first time, um, uh, and then, and then sometimes like through tragic loss too, you know, like we're coming up on the, the six year anniversary of my sister, uh, you know, and, and, um, I remember driving after her service and just feeling this, like thinking like, you know, having this overwhelming gratitude that I'm clean and I'm free. Um, you know, and in the midst of that, man, I felt like, like when I probably should, should be feeling a whole bunch of remorse and maybe sadness and maybe even anger, what I felt like was this, this connection with this love, you know, in, in, inside. And it probably didn't make, make sense. Like on paper, you know, it's like, Hey, this is the input, this is the output, but I've come to see that's how, and that's how spirituality shows up in, in, in my life. Like it's not a, it's not, Hey, you know, five units go in, five units come out. Um, and I'm grateful for that. You know, uh, this other one, we, we recognize that, that we matter. And a couple of other folks were, were talking about this earlier, bro. That's a, that's an ongoing awakening of my spirit, man. It just is like when I have people show up and love me and love my children and do stuff like this, it's like the HP is giving me a hug. Honest to God, it really is, man. You know, when acts of kindness are bestowed upon me, it's like, my first thing is like, bro, stop. I don't, you know, it, 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 it's like, it, it, it's tough to just say, okay, look, let, you know, let's accept it. But when I can push through that, it really is like, like, you know, the creator giving me a hug and I'm grateful for it, man. And here's the cool thing. And I'm going to pass with, with this comment is like, the longer I stay clean and, and, the, and the more I try to say, okay, um, if this, if there is some goodness, you know, that's outside of myself, if there's some goodness being, being thrown my way, you know, through the vessel of other people, well, here's the, here's the thing, man. I can be that to other people. It's fucking wild, man. Dan, like you talked about being that, being that, that, that vampire spiritual. I have it written in my margins, <clears throat> what you were, what you were just commenting on. When I take and consume, that's all my will. When I can provide and I can give, that's all God's will. I know sometimes spirituality is a lot more complex than that. And our experience is a lot more complex than that, but that's been kind of like a common thread that I can see in my life is like, is like when I'm, when I'm showing up and I'm trying to be of service, I'm trying to give, I really feel that's, you know, that, that aligns closely with it, with my spirit becoming awakened. So I'll pass with that. Thanks. Thanks, Doug. Thanks, Douglas. I'm Barb, and I like that. Uh, the most important thing to understand about a higher power is that you ain't it. And for me, that was important because, um, well, what they say, I was an egomaniac with the inferiority complex, you know, but um, I had to get right size, you know, because some of us are more arrogant than others. And, and for me, if I didn't lose that arrogance and get some humility, you know, then I was in trouble. And um, I had to pick up you know, to get a little more of that humility, even in early recovery. And then I had some humiliation, you know, to help me get a little humility, even though they are different, you know. And, um, I, I, you know, I go back to what, what Paul said, Chopra said, we're not um, human beings having a spiritual experience. We're spiritual beings having a human experience. And I love that. And I try to remember that because if I remember that the world is okay and I accept Barb, I'm in self-acceptance. I can love. I cannot be jealous. I cannot judge. I can, you know, I can be right-sized, all that stuff, you know, because I realize that I'm not alone and I'm not in charge, you know, and for me, um, that's pretty awesome today. So anybody else have anything? Nope. Okay. Casey, would you like to read? Sure. When we practice living in harmony with our world, we become wiser about choosing our battles. We learn where we can use our energy to make a difference and where we need to let go. Learning to step away from a conflict once it has started is sometimes harder than not getting into conflicts at all. 
That doesn't mean we always agree with anyone or everything or that we suddenly lose the power to stand up for what's right. On the contrary, when we, when we, we learn when to step forward and when to back away, sometimes struggles are worth fighting even if we know we cannot win. Just as some are not worth fighting even if this, even through our victory is sure. This is discernment and it comes from our experience. We learn to tell the difference between principle, we need to stand for an opinion we don't just need to, we just won't let go of. We're able to choose for ourselves when we stand up and when we surrender. And as we practice, we get better at determining which is right for us. Learning to accept the things we cannot change and take action where it is appropriate is not just part of recovering from addiction. It is part of growing up. Many of us are like overgrown children, still wanting to have things our way with regard for any, without regard for anyone else. Often this means that we go through a painful adolescence in the rooms, whatever our age. Maturity comes to us even when we use spiritual principles rather than defects to deal with reality. Incorporating principles into our lives allows us to understand the difference between right and wrong. Many of our most crippling defects become powerful assets when we let go of self-centered fear. Um, I was laughing because this is really applicable in my life. And uh, when I got here and I got clean, I was so hell-bent on doing the right thing that I became this right fighter. And I had to tell you exactly what I thought. Um, and it was still my way or the highway because my way was the right way. And um, I still sometimes struggle with that today where, you know, I, there's this balance, right? Like having your opinion, being able to voice your opinion, but then knowing when to, you know, take a step back or not have to voice your opinion or not have to be right. Um, and I am really experiencing this right now in my adult child's life. Um, you know, I have an 18 year old who recently just, um, moved away from home and she's going through some struggles. And what I wanna do is tell her what she needs to do. And um, so I'm having to use this discernment that it talks about where you know I, I give my advice when it's solicited. I listen when she wants me to listen um, and I don't tell her what she needs to do or what the right thing to do is. And um, that's a, it's a, this is a tough thing. This is a tough thing for me, for me to do. It's a, you know, I'm, I'm thankful that this process is continuous and that I constantly get to grow and learn and um, still today learn from my mistakes when I feel like, uh, you know, I, I spoke up when I shouldn't have or I didn't speak up when maybe I should have. You know, it's a constant learning curve and I'm grateful for that where, um, you know, if I look at where I am today and even in this relationship with my kid or, you know, how I supervise at work or all of my relationships where, where these things have always been an issue for me. When I look at where I am today and where I was when I started this journey with those relationships or this job or, or whatever, um, it's different. You know, I have grown a lot and, and there's still a lot of, of room that I have to grow. Um, but I get the rest of my life to do that. So, um, I'm just really, uh, really grateful that there's no end game. There's no perfection. There's no finish line for, for doing this. And that, um, I continuously get to learn, um, about, you know, conflicts and, and discernment and, and dealing with all of this stuff. It's just a, a constant, it's constant learning. And, you know, I really loved when Paul talked about, you know, um, really basically not having it all figured out at, you know, this huge amount of, of clean time, um, it's reassurance for me that I never have to strive for perfection in this program. So that's what I have on that. Thank you, Barb. Thanks, Casey. Anybody else? Jen? The part of this about learning to accept the things we cannot change um, and take action where it's appropriate. Um, in my first I don't know, three or four years, I actually had an ex-boyfriend who bought me this t-shirt that said everything I let go of has claw marks all over it. Um, and, you know, I was a sign, right? Um, and, and it was part of that learning, I, you know, I couldn't accept uh, the things I could not change, right? Like I am the 
I'm going to change you. I'm going to change them. I'm going to change the way they think. I'm going to change the way my children act. I'm going to change the, you know. Um, and, you know, when it says it's a part of growing up, it's, you know, for me, because I was 17 when I, I came to Narcotics Anonymous, I, I literally feel like not only was I growing up as a teenager here, but then I was also at some point like, oh, you want me to be an adult now? And I was like, I barely just learned how to be a teenager, let alone be an adult, you know? So it wasn't like I was behaving correctly or, you know, letting go. Um, and, and, and the part of, of you know, being an, an, an overgrown child, I, I catch myself occasionally still, um, it happened to me on Friday where like I'm stomping my feet, you know, in my home office. I don't want to be responsible today. I don't want to work. I could be somewhere else doing something else more fun. Um, you know, I could be anywhere else doing anything else, but what I need to do is be here right now and present in my life. And I didn't want to. And I mean, the good news for me is that I've had enough experience and time around here that I don't have to stay in that place very long, but it's very evident to me over and over again that you know, this is, well, I'll just speak for myself, this addict, you know, something that addict, this addict suffers from, you know what I mean? And, um, and so the recovery process for me just continues to grow and grow and grow. And this is also a big sign for me why I keep continuing to do what I do, right? You know, we talked earlier about how quickly our bad behavior, we go backwards quicker than we move forwards. Like I've had to move forward a very unpleasant long time. You know what I mean? It took me a long time to get there. And so if I can stop that tape for five seconds and know, you know what I mean? Like the consequence is not worth the thought that I'm having now, then like I'm having a good day. And, um, and that's why, um, you know, doing the work continues for me, you know, I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to fall backwards all the time. Right. I like, you know, I'd like some progress in my life and, and growing up has been, you know, um, all kinds of fun too. So it's not like growing up's a bad thing. It's just, I always equate it as a bad thing. Cause I want to, you know, yeah, fun all the time. So, anyways, I'll pass for that. Thanks. Add a couple minutes. Anybody else got something real quick, Douglas? Yeah, thanks, Barb. Hey, Jen, I identify with that too. I got clean at sixteen, and I feel like that. And that's the same thing. And I heard you share a couple episodes ago. It was like you know, getting clean that young. It almost feels like there's a spotlight, like kind of, kind of just growing up, man. Like going through some stages of life, you know, in the, in the spotlight and spiled, and, and I still feel that way sometimes. Um, too, but folks, look, I want to um, uh, make make one comment, then ask a question, and maybe someone can add some context to to this. The last couple of minutes, something that stung me a whole bunch. Maturity comes to us when uh, we use spiritual principles rather than defects to deal with reality. That's stung. It just does because that's like my sometimes that's my my default go to. It's like this hurts. All right, food, sex, and money that can that can ease it or make it more painful. You know, I always want one extreme. If I'm feeling good, let me feel better. If I'm feeling bad, let me feel worse. But uh, so that's stung. But look, let me ask you this question. Could you, could, can anybody jump in and add some context to this? What many of our most crippling defects become powerful assets when we let go of self-centered fear? I'm confused by it. So um, I'm going to pass with that. Thanks. Dan? Yeah, you know, it's interesting. I Keeping it real quick, I know we're coming up to the hour, but I was in a meeting this morning where that actual reading was the topic of the meeting, and there was some conversation around uh, that exact statement that Douglas just brought up. And what it resonated for me, I had to chew on it for a little while, is it talks in the sixth step about our defects are really just assets that are blown out of proportion by our complete and total self-centeredness. And they use like self-righteousness as an example, right? And when it's stripped of all that self, it just becomes a confident belief in one's own values, right? So for me, it's the semantics that can create a problem because the defect doesn't actually turn into any kind of an asset. What it does is, is when the self is removed, well, I guess in a way it does, right? That uh, another example would be my closed-minded arrogance, if I strip away self and I strip away that self-centeredness, then I can just kind of come with some, you know, some conviction. Uh, so hopefully that gave, added some context. It's just natural characteristics blown out of proportion become defective, but used in their normal natural state, they can be pretty healthy. Thanks, Dan. It's about time to wrap it up. So thank you out there for listening to us and 
we love you and I love all you guys and thank you for allowing me to be a part of this and to facilitate this and I'll see you next week. Thank you for walking with us on this journey. Please reflect on what was discussed and apply it to your life. Share this resource with anyone you feel led to do so.